The Gospel of John chapter 2. We're going to continue where we left off last time we were together. Uh, from there in verse 12. So I'm going to read from verse 13 until the end of the chapter. The Jewish Passover was near. And so Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple he found people selling oxen, sheep, and doves. And he also found the money changers sitting there. After making a whip out of cords, he drove everyone out of the temple with their sheep and oxen. He also poured out the money changer, the money changer's coins, and overturned the tables. He told those who were selling doves, Get these things out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a marketplace. And his disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal for your, for your house will consume me. So the Jews replied to him, What sign will you show us for doing these things? And Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and I will raise it up in three days. Therefore the Jews said, This temple took 46 years to build, and will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. So when he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the statement Jesus had made. While he was in Jerusalem during the Passover festival, many believed in his name when they saw the signs he was doing. Jesus, however, would not entrust himself to them, since he knew them all, and because he did not need anyone to testify about man, for he himself knew what was in man. The Passover is one of three commemorative feasts that the living God had instructed his people, the Jews, to perform every year as a reminder of what God did for them, for the purpose that they might be his people again. Now, the Feast of Weeks, or Pentecost, and the Feast of Tabernacles, or the Feast of Tents, or Booths, these would be the other two festivals that God commanded his people to remember him by every year that they might be his children again. I say again because what I want us to see is this. All that has happened to the Jews as we read through the Old Testament and the relation that the living God of the Bible has had and still has with them has been and is an exact reflection of what God is saying and is doing with the people of all the world. It has been said, if you want to see what is happening in the world, or if you want to see the signs of the times, then keep your eyes on Israel. In God's foreknowledge, did he already set in motion before the creation of all that is, the plan to rescue us from the ultimate consequence of our natural-born state. We as mankind are sinners, rebels at heart. We are not rebels because we rebel, as if we have the choice not to. We rebel 
because that is exactly what we are, rebels. God has provided for us the cure to that rebel's heart. His plan is perfect in him. And for all and any of mankind that recognizes they have been led by their natural-born state of being, I want you to know that the Bible says there is a cure. Jesus goes up to Jerusalem for the Passover feast. Let me make, make a quick point that I noticed when I read through the New Testament. I, I noticed that they always said going up to Jerusalem. Anywhere anybody was, it was always going up to Jerusalem. I would look on a map at a specific location and realize some of the time Jerusalem was actually south of where the location that they were was. In, in this particular uh, instance, Jesus being in Galilee, he would have had to travel south to Jerusalem. But yet the Bible tells us that he went up to Jerusalem. And here's why. Jerusalem was on a hill, and from any direction that you would come to Jerusalem, would you be going up? That being said, the people uh, of Israel, the Jews, they had already been scattered all over the, the known world. And at this particular festival, as with the other two mentioned earlier, they would all gather to Jerusalem in honor to respect and remember what God did for them. And then, therefore, that's exactly what Jesus and his family were doing. They were coming up to Jerusalem to honor the Lord. Jesus goes up to Jerusalem for the Passover feast. Now, the first occurrence of the Passover is going to be recorded for us there in the book of Exodus chapter 12. It was at the time when the living God was in the process of rescuing his people Israel from the bondage of over 400 years of hard work slavery, all of which is the picture of man without God. In contrast, the Passover is a wonderful picture of God's protection over us as he carries us out of the bondage of sin that we were born into. If you are coming out of a sin, I'm talking about an addiction of any kind, the Passover is a great reminder of what God the Father did by means of His Son, Jesus the Christ. As we are continually reminded of that gross pit from where we came. The Passover was an event instituted by God Himself for Moses and all of Israel to see what God was going to do. First for them, and then for all of mankind. That's you and me. It was an event so horrible, yet so wonderful, that God did not want for his people to ever forget that night that the Lord passed through the land of Egypt. Let me read it for you. This will be Exodus chapter 12, verses 12 and 13. God said, For I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night, and will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. Now verse 13 read that, reads this, Now, the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and the plague shall not be on you 
to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Back to the Gospel of John, chapter 2. The blood was the blood of a lamb that was spread outside the doorpost of every Israelite. Israel, meaning governed by God or prince with God. And everyone that was governed by God, everyone that listened to Moses, did paint the blood of the lamb that they had sacrificed for the Passover feast on the outside of their doorposts. Today, for those of us that have accepted the biblical account of the of Jesus, the Son of God, as that lamb. It is his blood that God now sees on us, and he will again pass over us when he passes through the land of the whole earth. And yes, death and destruction will most certainly come with him. We, as man, are only safe by the blood of the Lamb of God. Now, this event here in verse 13 it will be the first Passover that Jesus will attend since his baptism, which we read there in, in chapter 1. John will record for us two more Passover events, of which the third celebration will in fact be when our Lord is offered up as the sacrificial lamb. Jesus, as he goes into the temple, it reads there, he found in the temple those who sold oxen and sheep and doves and the money changers doing business. Remember, Jews were all over the known world. And as they came into Jerusalem, did they have these sellers that were willing to sell them sacrificial lambs, bulls, oxen? that were willing to change over the money because the Jews, as they were elsewhere in the world, they, they adopted other languages, they used other currencies, but according to pay the temple tax, foreign currency was not accepted. Of course you'd have to have money changers. There is absolutely nothing wrong with what they were doing. There was nothing wrong for what they were doing. It was why they were there that Jesus had a real problem with, and should, rightfully so. We'll get into that in just a moment, but I wanted to explain the temple itself. They weren't actually in the temple. The temple itself what was, was designed in, in two parts. The outer court, the inner court, and the most inner court, or the center court. Be in the outer court where all the people could mingle. Jews and Gentiles alike, men and women alike, about 14 acres worth of outer court. Then you had another section, separated by a wall, about breast high. But the only ones that were allowed in the inner court were the Jews. And within the inner court, it was separated into three sections. One section for the women, Jewish women, one section for Jewish men, and the other section for priests to perform their duties. Lastly, you'll have what's called the Holy of Holies, of which only the high priest could enter. One man could enter into there, and that was done only once a year. That being said, it was, it was not uncommon. After a long travel from the outer world, Jews would come to worship, and it would be nice to have uh, oxen, sheep, lamb, it would, be nice to have, it would be nice to have money changers there to change over the, the, the money, the currency that they, that they had. But look what happens. 
When Jesus saw that, he had made a whip of cords there in verse 14, and he drove them out of the temple. Why did he do that? The Bible tells us. The Bible tells us that what they were doing was not in concern of those who came in obligation to the living God that saved them from slavery, but they themselves were putting men into slavery. How so? By selling to them, by exchanging for them, and probably at a cost, probably at an unfair price, cheating the people, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. They turned it into a bodega. They turned it into a, 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 a like a flea market. Rather than offering a service for those who probably traveled a long distance to come and worship the living God. Rather than offering a service and say, hey, look, you don't have to bring lambs, bulls with you, which would be, uh, of course, burdensome for your journey. No, no. I'll have it for you. I'm from Jerusalem. I'm from the known area of Judea. I can have these for you. I'll sell it for you. Nothing. There's no problem in that. That's not what they were doing. <laughs> it reminds me a lot of a, a lot of these uh, um, pastors, teachers, preachers that are out there that walk around with the Bible. People expect them to be holy. People expect them to be of the flock of Christ. But you know what? In fact, they're not. And this is the separation that we are clearly going to see. Jesus made a complete, uh, a definite separation, so should we. Verse 17, then his disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house has eaten me up. Jesus says, take these things away, there in verse 16, do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. Later, his disciples remembered what the scriptures said, zeal for your house has eaten me up. These are two verses from the Old Testament that actually support exactly not only what Jesus did, but what his disciples remembered. The first one, do not change my, do not make my house, uh, my father's house into a house of merchandise. In Jeremiah chapter seven, it reads this, is this house, which is called by name, become a den of robbers in your eyes? Behold, even I have seen it saith the Lord. This is exactly what was happening back in the time of Jeremiah. The religious leaders, those people who would live a life any way they wanted to live it, and yet they would come and so-called honor the Lord. And God spoke to Jeremiah saying, do you think you can do whatever you want to during the week and then come Sunday morning, if you will, our Lord's day, and just offer sacrifices as if you're not a guilty one? Look, we as sinners are sinners, and in fact, none of us are perfect. But we cannot expect that God is going to overlook our behavior and not demand an action from us. Because this is the action that Jesus actually gave them. Disapproval. What you're doing is wrong, is what he told them. The motive of their hearts was wrong. Their actions relayed the motive of their hearts, showed the motive, was shown in the motive of their heart. So the Jews answered and said to him, what sign do you show us, do you show to us since you do these things? <laughs> uh, just before, just before. There in verse 17, 
a verse is quoted, part of a verse is quoted from the Old Testament again there in Psalm 69 verse 9 where it reads, zeal for your house has eaten me up. Take note of where the minds of the disciples were. The thoughts of the disciples as they saw Jesus driving all this oxen and sheep and turning over the money changers tables. They remembered what was written. The more that we spend time in the Bible, the more we will be able to have its contents ready in our minds. That we might be able to compare our current circumstance, whatever or wherever that may be, and if our motives are correct with the living God who wrote the Bible, then we will find ourselves watching God work in our lives. It's amazing how when I'm reading through the Word of God, and not to mention when I speak with my wife or others who actually are reading the Word of God, how they love to compare the current circumstance that's happening in their lives and or a circumstance that they already went through, and how the Bible was able to not only they were able not only to compare with a circumstance in the Bible, but be able to deal with it, be able to trust the Lord, as they have seen how the Lord dealt with the very individuals that were going through the circumstance that you are now going through. Times might look like they have changed. They haven't. Men are still men. Uh, that is Anthropos. That is, the, the mankind is still mankind. Sin is still sin, in a different color, in a different way, but still from the same wicked heart. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. Zeal for your house has eaten me up. The Gospel of Luke has the account where Jesus is found in the temple by his earthly parents. We are told of the love and respect that Jesus has for his father's house there in Luke chapter 2. Verse 49, it says, And he said unto them, Jesus said to his parents when they found him in the temple, how is it that you would be searching for me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? Jesus was a child, some 12 years old. And then the writer of the letter to the Hebrews, he will say this. Chapter 3, verse 6. But Christ, as a son over his own house. A son over his own house. As a boy, Jesus was the son in his father's house. Now, he is the son of his father's house. I would like to make the point. There is a growth here. Jesus was a child, and now that Jesus is uh, an adult, it's not in that Jesus was the son of God as a child and then becomes more the son of God as an adult. No. What we see is growth in the responsibility as the Son of God. In Hebrews, elsewhere it writes, chapter 5, verse 8, Although he was the Son, he learned obedience from what he suffered, or, to understand it, from what he had to go through in life, starting since the time when he was a child. I said earlier, that the living God has the cure to remedy that rebel's heart, that sinner's heart. But 
just as when we take medicine to cure an ailment to our bodies. It takes time before you see the effects of the medicine take place. In the same way, when you accept and take what the living God has as the cure to the ailment of your soul, it will take time for you to see the effects. The promises of the Bible ensure that we will see the effects of that medicine that the living God of the Bible has given us for all of mankind to take. Before I continue our reading through the chapter 2, I'd like to give you one of those promises. Let me show you. There in Romans chapter 8, Romans chapter 8 verse 17, it reads this. The Apostle Paul will write, And if children, that is to say, we as children of God, and if we are children of God, then we are heirs. Heirs, H-E-I-R-S, that is, those that will inherit. As children inherit that, inherit that which the parents have, so we will inherit. It says here, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if so that we suffer with him. That is to say, if we learn as we go what it is that pleases the Lord. When we receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, are we in heaven? We have just purchased a ticket, yes. We have just gained access, entrance into heaven, yes, but we're not there yet. Therefore, we are not perfect yet. Therefore, we must learn as we go what is pleasing to the Lord, and we must do them. It says this, that we may be also glorified together. That is to say, together with Him in heaven. Hey, look, man, if you're looking for perfection, you're going to have to wait. You're going to have to wait till we get there. We're going to be messing up all the way. As a sinner, it is not that we are sinless. It is not. But as my pastor always said, it is and should be that we sin less. And with time, we become better at doing the right thing. Yes, we'll always have those thoughts. Yes, we always will have, unfortunately, those actions. But they don't always have to be. Choose the Lord. Choose to take it His way. Do it His way. When you mess up, try again. It says here in verse 18, when the Jews answered and said to him, what sign do you show us since you do these things? That is just another way of saying, with an arrogant tone in the voice, found in all those that should know better, but are willfully choosing to believe that they are right. These are the rebels that have mixed in with the proper members of God's chosen ones. These Jews are the same ones that know very well what the Old Testament scriptures had said about the one that would come. However, because of their holier-than-thou personal belief system, they did not understand the very word they pretended to know. As a result, they were called out. Just as Jesus publicly announced the utter lack of deception in the heart of Nathanael. Remember there in the Gospel of John, uh, chapter 1, verse 47, where uh, he said, 
Behold, an Israelite, indeed, in whom is no deceit. Just as Jesus publicly announced the utter lack of deception in the heart of Nathanael, so Jesus will now publicly announce the total abundance of the deception in the hearts of these very teachers of the scriptures, the Jews. Verse 19 through 21, Jesus answered and said to them, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. Now the temple that Jesus was referring to was clearly his physical body. Not only does John tell us that, but the Apostle Paul will also refer to it in his letter to the Corinthians. There in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, he says this, Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit that is in you, which you have from God, and you are not your own? Then, verse 20, the Jews said, It has taken 46 years to build this temple, and will you raise it up in three days? Just as Mary's mind was set on earthly things, there in the beginning of chapter 2, we see these Jews also had their mind set on earthly things. Though they knew the scriptures, it was seeing old people humble themselves before them when they walked in the marketplaces. It was all the money of the temple tax that passed through their hands, which had them say in their hearts, I am worthy of this, that kept them from referring to the scriptures and much less understand the scriptures. I really have to make a disclaimer when it comes to money and religion. Not everyone has the ability to manage money properly. Not everyone can. Some people know how as a second nature. Some people are really good. It's better to give them the money. Let them manage your money and they just know what to do with it. Others have no idea. Others allow the money to take over them. Others find ways to scheme and to plot to get money from you. But not everyone. Not everyone is like that. This is an encouragement for myself as well as to tell all others, read your Bibles to keep your spirits fed in the same way that you feed food for your physical bodies. It's a great comparison. We cannot go much time without food. And I'm, talking, I'm not talking about during times of fasting, where we deny food, we deny all kinds of amenities in order to seek the Lord. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about our daily lives. God knows that if we do not have food to eat, if we do not feed our bodies, we will die. In the same way, if we do not feed our souls, we do not feed our spirits with the Word of God, we will become spiritually illiterate. We will follow these men and women out there who do know what the Bible says, but have no understanding of it, leading us as men astray. This is why Jesus drove out those in the temple. They were leading the people astray. People were forgetting why they were coming to Jerusalem. People were only just showing up. Ah, it doesn't matter, I can just buy something there. And if in fact they did come with the right heart, if they did come with the right motives, what were they doing? They were having to pay and probably at a high price. There was no support one brother to another. There was no support. Verse 22, 
Therefore, when he had risen from the dead three years later, when he had risen from the dead, John will write for us. His disciples remembered that he had said this about the temple. Destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. <laughs> that rocks. And they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had said. Now, Jesus made a statement and three years later, when it came to pass, it was then that they believed the scriptures. Did you know that there are portions of the Bible that haven't happened yet? They're in Revelation. I, portions of the Bible that have, not, that have yet to come to pass. And I would recommend you not wait for it to come to pass before you, before you believe it. That being said, what scriptures did they remember? We don't have that listed. But as I was reading through the Old Testament, did I find myself making marks as you read through the Bible? You're going to remember, hey, I read something about that in the New Testament as you're in the Old Testament. And when you're in, 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 in the New Testament, you remember that it was in the Old Testament. That being said, I made a little mark here. Hosea chapter 6 verse 2. I have a little inscription in my Bible. No, it's not a sin to write in your Bible. It reads, Hosea chapter 6, verse 2, After two days he will revive us. On the third day he will raise us up, and we will live in his sight. That's wonderful. Maybe they remembered that one. Maybe they remembered what David wrote in his psalm, where David, in desperation, he wrote, For you will not abandon me to Sheol, or to the land of the dead. To hell. You will not allow your faithful one to see decay or to rot in hell. As God used David's life as a reflection of Jesus Christ, did the disciples of Jesus see that very thing? They saw a man on a cross die. They saw men put him in a tomb. They saw the stone roll and cover the tomb. And then they saw the most glorious moment of all. Jesus is alive. And they remembered, and John wrote it for us. They remembered the scripture. So I can only encourage you, continue to read the Bible. I can only encourage you. As you read the Bible, you are spending time with the living God as the Word of God is alive. The Bible is not a magic trick, and we're going to see that in just in the next couple verses. The Bible is not a magic book to flip open, and, and whichever verse you find, this is your, your, your horoscope of the day. As some are teaching, no, the Bible is as a person that you spend time with. It's, it's accompaniment. It's love, true fellowship, true friendship. Never betray you, never lie to you. Verse 23, now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs which he did. Interesting, when they saw the signs which he did. Why didn't Jesus do these very same miracles for the religious leaders that asked him for a sign there in verse 18? How come? Well, 
if you haven't figured it out already, he knew the motive of their hearts. They were religious leaders. They were the ones that the people of Israel would look to, would turn to, to hear from God or to, or to know what God said in his word, the scriptures. They were the pastors, the teachers, the preachers, the messengers of God of the day. It is a dangerous position when the motive of the hearts of the teachers are to bring people to themselves and not give adequate counsel from and of the word of God. Jesus knew that. But Jesus was able to tell the difference. He did not become bitter. He did not hate all Christians because of it. He did not put all in the same category because of the few. But Jesus did not commit himself to them because he knew all men. Verse 25, and we close, and had no need that anyone should testify of man for he knew what was in man. Jesus, he did not want them to talk about or come to a magician. He did not want the people to seek him for miracles and wonders. Jesus came as the giver of life and not as a big show, as a big celebrity. This is why we're going to see, and John will point out, seven specific miracles of which we saw one the last time we were together earlier in chapter two this is why jesus will make seven specific statements about himself all of which relate to him being the giver of life and that coming to him you will find life jesus did not need men to say to others as to whether he was a good or a bad man he needed no proofs to be made of himself or evidence given of men's characters and actions jesus was perfect in every way as a man we as men do not need to force ourselves to believe what is said of this man jesus of nazareth we don't have to force ourselves to believe it. We only need to know what the Bible has said about him. And the Bible says that God has accepted him. The Apostle Paul will write in his letter to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, he said this, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Let me paraphrase that. For God made Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. It's all about him. It has nothing to do with us, other than the fact that he did it for us. Do you get it? So those of you who want to showboat and have a big show, about how Christian you are, you know what, guess what? It's all about him. It's all about Jesus because that's what the Bible teaches. That is what we are encouraging you. Read your Bibles so that you can learn about Jesus.